If you got your Bibles, open them up to 1 Peter. You can kind of open your lap. I want to encourage you to try to read uh, 1 Peter and Ephesians. 1 Peter and Ephesians. I know we've got a lot going on and we're reading uh, in our Bible plan. We're coming down to the end of the year on that. And uh, we, Caleb and I were looking at some things uh, last night and, uh, or the night before last and uh, looking at a couple of uh, Bible plans for uh, thinking about the new year. We've been on the New Testament two years in a row and we're going to go into the Old Testament this year and we're going to, uh, so we're going to do a Bible Bible plan that we're going to move forward in that. So we'll be uh, announcing that at the first of the year. And uh, last year we started out, God really had laid on my heart about making sure we knew our foundation because when COVID broke out, we were talking about how we wanted to make sure we were on a solid foundation, that we were on the rock of Christ, that while everything is being shaken that can be shaken, we wanted to make sure that we were not uh, we were not crumbling. We were on the solid rock. And, and you know, we just constantly, for, for a whole year preached on covenant and just uh, preached on making sure that we were on a solid, firm foundation. That while the world is reeling to and fro, that that we are we are firm. We're firmly planted on Christ, the solid rock. I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And I think we did. We preached the covenant backwards, forward, left, right, showing us that we are secure and we are safe in Jesus Christ. And then we said we were going to talk about uh, kind of going, and we really didn't kind of get around to that. We kept hitting these themes of hitting more and more on that. But then we were talking about as we're secure, we, we need to go. We need to go. We need to be salt and light in this earth. And we kind of, I didn't, I didn't get around to that as, as quickly as I'd wanted to, but the Lord brought me back around here at the end of the year as I think we want to go into uh, this next year is we've, we've got to uh, shake ourselves out of apathy. And we've got to uh, we've got to be about our father's business, and and so uh, we want to we want to move into this world and into every facet of life with uh, representing Jesus Christ in a in a mighty way. I mean I mean, uh, and we want to be uh, people who let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our heavenly Father. So today's going to be a little bit more practical, a little bit more different, and and over the next coming weeks, I want to talk a little bit more about membership. And, and when us, it's not going to be membership in the traditional sense of what, what that sounds like. But I want to, today I want to talk about membership for the mission. A membership for the mission. Next week, uh, if God doesn't change it, I, I have a hard time sticking with things sometimes like that because I kind of go week from week uh, trying to hear what the Lord wants to say to us. And, uh, but, but I do think over the next couple of weeks uh, we may interrupt that if things uh, need to be. But I want to talk for the next few weeks about our role. I want to talk about our role, mine and Daniel's and Caleb's as elders of this church. I want to talk about your role as members. I want to talk about our role together as a church body, uh, what, what we're supposed to be doing as a church body together and what, what we're committed to. And so we're going to kind of look at that here at the end of the year and going into the new year because I really want us to get mobilized to, to, to be the hands and feet of Christ. I want us to look like the book of Acts and I want us to go. I want us to go and lead people to Christ. I want to bring people in uh, to, to, to uh, our groups and for them to know Christ, to be introduced for Christ. I want to snatch some from the flames before it's too late. I want to see our sons and daughters born again. I want to see this house return to becoming a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. I want to, I want to get back to what, our, what we're supposed to be. And so uh, while the world's fighting against all of this, so uh, let's pray. If you got your Bible, first we'll be in Peter, we'll be in Ephesians, we'll be in Matthew 28. 
That's where we'll land tonight. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. We thank you, God, for the people that are here. God, we have a lot of people out, God. We have a lot of people that are just not here because they're not here. And God, we just pray for them. Please bring them back and let them know the importance of gathering God together, God, uh, with each other. And then secondly, Lord, we know we have many people working today, God, and they just can't help it. Lord, be with them. We have people, God, that are, uh, Lord, that are traveling, God, uh, for some reason. This became a big travel Sunday, and God, just be with them. Keep them safe. And then we have people that are sick, God. I just pray that you touch their body. Pray that you would heal them. God, I pray that we wouldn't overreact, uh, but we wouldn't underreact, God, that you would just help us, God, and that you would heal our bodies, and you would just help us to, uh, to be well during this season, God. And Lord, we just give you the praise and the honor and the glory. Speak to our hearts today. Let this come across and come through, God, the way that you want it to come through, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody said amen. Hallelujah. Membership for the mission. Uh, I I think deep within all of us, we want to feel like we belong to something, don't we? We want to feel like we belong, right? Whether that be a family, whether that be a community, we want to belong to something and we want to be part of something that we're, 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 we're committed to that thing no matter what. Like we're committed to that cause no matter what. I'll give you an example of that. At, uh, we just went through uh, 20 years uh, not too long ago of 9-11, if you can believe that. We were all, so many of us alive at 9-11. Some of us weren't alive, but how time flies and, and uh in that, and so in twenty uh, in twenty twenty one, I believe it was was twenty years. And George Bush, president, the former president, got up and made a speech. And he made a speech, and he said something very interesting in that speech. He began to talk about that flight. I believe it was flight ninety three that left and took off and was in Pennsylvania over the Pennsylvania field. And all of a sudden, you remember Todd Beamer and that other group of people that caught word that there had already been a plane go down into the twin towers. There had already been a plane go down in the Pentagon, and they were determined we're not going to have this happen. We're not going to have this plane go into the White House or wherever it was intended to go into. And so you remember, he got on the phone with the 911 operator. He began to pray. They prayed the Lord's Prayer. And then all of a sudden you heard those last famous words. He said, we're fixing to take over the cockpit and we're going to take this thing over and and just pray for us and tell my wife. He left instructions for that 911 operator to tell the wife, uh, I want you to tell my wife uh, that I love her and all these things, my children. And then you hear those famous words, let's roll, let's roll. And they go in there and they take that thing down and, uh, and it saved no matter, no telling how many lives. And here's what the president got up, uh, former president got up and said after all of those years. He, he gave a great sense of reminding us as Americans and reminding of who we are because he said, he said this, he, he said about that plane, he said, that's what we do. That's what Americans do. And he was reminding them of that's who we are. That's the kind of thing we do. That's the kind of people we are. That's the kind of mission we have. It's kind of like Veterans Day. Thank you for our veterans that are in here and the veterans that have served in our country. And we, that, that's kind of what we do. You know, you could get up and say, no man left behind. That, that we, we're not leaving a person behind. We go back for even our wounded. We go back for even our dead. We'll risk our lives to go back into that place and bring Americans out of there because that's what we 
do, right? And when he said those words, he was reminding Americans who they are, and he was reminding them of a mission. And that's what Peter comes to in 1 Peter, and he's older now. He, he's older, an older gentleman now, and he's writing to these, uh, these exiles, these pilgrims, and he's beginning to, to, to have empathy towards them and to tell them who they are in the first chapter and a half. He's going to spend time telling them who, who they are. He's going to have empathy towards them, and he's going to remind them that they have a mission. Don't forget who you are. He's going to spend time telling them and, and reminding them they have this mission that they're on together, and he's part of that mission with them. He knows exactly what they're going through. He knows what they're, as they're being persecuted, as things, as he writes this letter, he's, he's empathizing with them like George Bush was empathizing in that speech. He's empathizing with these people, but he's also telling them, I'm, I'm with you, and I know exactly what you're going through. And he begins to say, even though it's tough, don't forget who you are. Don't forget the mission. We're part of a mission. There's nothing greater than the kingdom of God. There's nothing greater whatsoever in all of the world that Jesus Christ has called us to something great and something greater. Look at verse Peter 2, verse 4, and I want you to, we're going to pick up, start reading there. Look at it, and it says, coming to him as to living stones. This is Peter beginning to write to them, and he says to them, basically he's coming to them, and he's reminding them, first of all, in this passage, this is who you are. Don't forget who you are, body of Christ. This is who you are. This is who God says you are. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You are chosen. You are precious. He's reminding them that as they're being persecuted. As the governments of the world are after them, He's saying, don't forget who you are. Even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of hard times, you might, even in the midst of all this, you are a living stone or he is a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones that are being built up unto a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter is saying, do you understand who you are? This group of people that others may reject, this other group of people, this people group of people that they may shame. He says, for it stands in verse 6, in the scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone. I'm laying a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. They may shame you, but I'm telling you what. You're chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You are special to me. And I'm telling you what. You will never be put to to shame. But he says this about those who disobey the Word of God. He says this that about them. He says, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So, so in other words, they, they, they disobey the Word of God. Those of you who disobey the Word of God, this stone is going to become, this cornerstone is going to become a rock of offense and a stumbling block unto you. But those who are chosen, those who obey this word, those who, who take this word into their life, 
they, he says, are, are not going to be that way. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race. Man, how many times does he have to tell you? You are chosen. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you might, here's our mission, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Come on, and man, I've got a a message that I was going to preach soon, maybe, about, have you ever just had Christians that just like, I mean, they live up to that? Like, you just get around them, and they're like, man, there's something different about them. I mean, like, they're they're just, they walk with royalty, right, right? It's like they walk with like like they're like they're like they're children of the king. I mean, we use that term often crazily today, but I mean, literally, they, they there's just something about them. And the reason I can tell you why there's something about them is because if I have a message about the cross and allowing the cross to crush us, allowing the cross to take us out of the way until there's nothing left but Him. Amen. About how there's a dying to self and not depending on yourself, and that's the type of people that we see who have literally uh, no longer have confidence in the flesh. They no longer have confidence in their own strength, their own wisdom, their own possessions, their own ideas. They have now just come to a place where that has already been crushed and where they have denied self, anything of self, any their, their entire self, their entire being, they have denied that. I have nothing I can give to you, God. Nothing. Nothing. And literally the cross just crushes that them and all that's left is him. Amen. A resurrected life with the power of Jesus Christ. A life of faith with the Holy Spirit working in and through us. And you kind of walk, those type people that have totally died to self, they kind of walk differently. They kind of carry themselves differently. They kind of act differently. And you kind of can recognize them. And, and Peter is writing here and he said, do you know who you are? You are chosen and you are called to proclaim these things to the masses. You're not just anybody you're part of this group that God one time didn't show mercy to but now he has decided to show mercy to you he has decided to be merciful to you and he's building you together in a powerful way he's building this group of people together and placing them together in a powerful powerful way living stones he's bringing together to build a temple where he dwells inside of the midst of that thing and you shine forth brilliantly with the glory of almighty God Amen. You talk about the bride coming down out of heaven, the new Jerusalem. Man, just this living stones where God, there's so nothing of them. And all of a sudden, this, these, these, these brilliant colors and, and, and jewels with just the glory of God just emanating out of it to a world showing nothing. Not you, not us, not Brookside Church of God, but God. God, amen. Showing forth the praises and excellency of God. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Built together in a powerful way. He's building you and me together in a powerful way. He's collecting us to be this transmitting of Him to the world. To take this this thing to the world of the greatness of Jesus Christ. Just showing greatness of Jesus Christ, Nana. That's what you keep coming back and saying. Is it okay just just to go back to Jesus? Yes, it's okay to go back and show the greatness of Jesus. Amen? It's that simple. Just show the greatness 
witness of Jesus. Paul says, I've determined to preach nothing among you except Jesus and Him crucified. Amen. He calls us a special people. And Peter's wanting to make sure you know who you are. You are a royal priesthood. You're a special people. You're, you're a called out people. You've been collected together as these living stones to show forth God to the world. Chosen. Chosen. A, a, a group that he pulls together. He pulls you into this group. He calls you out of the uh, spiritual darkness. Out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Out of the kingdom of darkness and into a new kingdom of his son. And he calls us and collects us together. Together. He pulls you into a body and puts you together in this group where we become sober-minded. We become watchful. We watch. We become sober-minded. We begin to live a certain way in the world. We have a group that, that, that is together, but we have an adversary, Peter writes, with the, this lion, is, is, is roaring lion, is seeking whom he may devour. He's coming around, and he's trying to devour us. He's against us, but we're able, the Bible says, to resist him in the name of Christ. We're able to put on the full armor of God. We're able to stand. We're able to watch. We're able to pray. Peter goes on to call us elect exiles. We're we're elect. We're chosen. We're exiles. We're chosen by God to be part of the biggest thing ever. Come on. The biggest thing ever. Bigger than Barnum and Bailey or whatever it was. The biggest show ever. The biggest thing ever. You're part of. You're part of the biggest thing ever. If, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ, which I think most of us do, then he's brought you to himself in Christ and you're part of the biggest thing ever on the face of the earth. And so let's ask, if you were to launch the biggest thing ever, Steve, if you were to launch the biggest thing ever, I mean the biggest thing on the face of the earth, I mean, how would you do it? Wouldn't you? I mean, if I were doing it, I would probably, especially in today, I'd be getting my son who knows a lot about IT, and I'd be saying, we need to get on social media. We need to get on Facebook. We need to get on Twitter. We need to get on, uh, we need to get on whatever it is. I don't know any of them because I'm, I'm not on them. But, but, but if I needed to get a message to the world, that'd be the way I'd be thinking. That's the way you got to get this message out is we got to get on, we got to get on every social media platform and we got to put this out there. We got to get on television. We got to get on there. We've got to have commercials. We got to have infomercials. We got to do everything that we can do. We got to pass out leaflets and flyers. We have got to do everything because we're about to launch the biggest thing in the face of the world. We're about to take the gospel of of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're about to take it to the uttermost reaches of the earth. So we have got to get mobilized. We have got to get together. He's calling us out. He's bringing us together. And man, we got to take this thing. We got to shout it from the rooftops. We got to get it out that way. But listen, Peter does not suggest any of those things as a way to do this thing. Look at what Peter begins to say. And I want you to get this. This very practical today. You're not going to really shout and run aisles, and you're not going to get excited, and there's not going to be much depth here, but it's just going to be something that is absolutely practical and necessary and, 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 and is of God. And you need to, we need to get a hold of this today because Peter doesn't suggest any of those things. And in fact, by the time that you arrive to chapter 5, he tells us how he's going to do this, how he's going to get this thing to the whole world. He tells us exactly. He, he doesn't say we're going to get in massive battle groups like we want to 
do today. We're going to get in massive battle groups and we're going to take on the entire world. He doesn't say we're going to uh, get in, get ourselves entrenched in political parties and we're going to try to change the political landscape. I'm not saying we shouldn't do any of those things on certain levels, but he doesn't say he he doesn't encourage any of that to say that's how we're going to do it. He doesn't say we need to get out and protest and we need to pick it and that's how we're going to do it. No, here's what Peter says by the time you get to chapter five. He says we're going to get a group of called uh, people called elders who are who are among you, and this is what he says in chapter five, verse one. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. In other words, I want that group of shepherds just to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I want to take a group of shepherds, a group of leaders in local areas, and I want to shepherd a group of people. And here's what he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain. I don't want you to fleece the sheep and then take it and use for your own own gain, but I want you to do it eagerly, not domineering those uh, over those who are in charge, but being examples to the flock. He said it should be a local committed group of leaders who dive into people's lives. That's what he says I'm going to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to change the world. This is how we're going to to, to get the message out everywhere and get on the mission. We are going to pull aside some local elders in a a local committed group and they're going to dive into people's lives. Look what he says in verse 5. Likewise you who are younger be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you with humility towards one another for God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. So if you launch, he says, how are we going to launch this great cosmic reality? How are we going to do that? We're going to do that through local committed relationships with one another. We're going to do it with friendships. We're going to do it with these godly friendships inside of Jesus Christ. That's how we're going to do it. That's what we're going to do. It's called disciples. We're going to make disciples. We're going to be disciples and then we're going to make disciples. That's what we're going to talk about next week. You can't make disciples if you're not a disciple. So we're going to learn. He says, I'm going to teach you how to be a disciple, and then you're going to make disciples, and you're going to come in these local committed fellowship groups, and I'm going to call elders to come inside of there that are going to have oversight, and they're going to dive into people's life, and they're going to model Jesus before you, and, and, and we're going to, that's how we're going to change the world. That's how we're going to do it. We're not going to get on YouTube, social media, and all these other things. This is how we're going to do it. And it talks about, here's what Peter goes on to write. He talks about husbands. He talks about wives. Peter talks about how we're going to do it in the world, how, 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 how we're going to model this before the world and how we're going to live before the world. He begins to talk about masters and servants. In other words, work life. He, he just talks about how we're going to be in these committed fellowships. And as we're in these committed groups, it's going to change our lives. We're going to begin to look more like Christ. And we're going to look that way in the workplace. And then he says, we're going to look that way in the government, in the way we, we behave in the government. We're going to look that way with the way our husband and wife relationship goes. And this is why I want you to read it because it just begins to talk about every facet of life that when God comes into your life and when the Spirit of God comes into your life then all these relationships begin to change. And as you move and work together in these relationships and have oversight of elders, all of a sudden you begin to change and that change begins to have an effect on the society around you and in the world the mission begins to go forth and begin to go little by little into the community.
community everywhere that you begin to go. He writes about the relationship of children. He, he, and parents, all of these things, as this is worked out in these committed, intimate relationships, this is how I'm going to do it, Jesus says. This is what I'm going to do. And that, 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 you say, well, that's just Peter. No, that's not just Peter because Paul writes the same thing. Paul begins to do it and he almost does it just exactly the same way. God begins working out his mission in simple, local, committed relationship. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 1.15, look at what he says. He does the, almost the same exact repeating. He constantly talks about the reality of what it means to be in Christ, who we are in Christ. He tells them who we are in Christ and then he begins to unfold the mission of what it means means to be in Christ and the big thing that we're going to be involved in in the world. Look at what he says in Ephesians 1.15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of the Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you, that you may know what is the hope which he has called you to, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above every rule authority power dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things that is the church which is the body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. In other words, the church is the very mechanism whereby God is going to change the world. Let me say it again because we got people all over the internet and all over the world trying to infiltrate it and tear it down today. The church is the very mechanism whereby God is going to change the world. He shed his blood for it, and despite how bad it looks right now, he still loves it. Amen? And the answer is not do away with it. Let's correct ourselves, the people that live, that are in it, and begin to follow what it looks like in Scripture. Amen? If you're going to launch the greatest thing, Paul, how would you do it? Surely Paul is going to tell us something different than foolishness of local committed relationships. Surely there's something bigger that you can do. Surely get on social media. Surely get on TV. Surely have a great praise band. Surely have some lights and good coffee and all the other things. What, what, how are we going to, to get this to the uttermost parts of the world? What does Paul say? Look at verse uh, chapter 3, verse 10 in Ephesians. He says it's going to be a group of people that the manifold wisdom of God might be known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. In other words, not only will people see the church moving in this great way, but also the entire demonic realm will begin to see the power, the demon shake and flee at the mention of His name, Jesus' majesty. There is no power in hell or anyone who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I am. I know that sounded beautiful. These songs we sing have some scriptural reference, whether you believe it or not. All power, all authority. 
And I'm going to take these little insignificant people and I'm going to call them out and show mercy to them. And I'm going to put them in these local, committed, intimate relationships. And somehow through the foolishness of that, the world is shame them and laugh. But through the foolishness of these little intimate groups in their, in their workplace, in their homes, in their, with their parenting, in their, in their jobs, in everything, when they submit to God and one another and to their elders and oversight, I'm going to change the world through this thing. See, we haven't been changing the world because we changed the tactics to where we've all wanted to be like the world and change everything to the world so they'll come into our churches. So this is how he'll do it. Look at what he goes on to write in Ephesians 4.10. He goes on, he, he finishes up there saying, and, and he's put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known. There's our mission to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. He who descended, that being Jesus, the one who took on flesh and on humanity, is also the one who ascended above all in the heavens that he might fill all things. And here's what he says. And then he gave what? Apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the same thing Peter said. This is how he's going to do it. He is going to, he, he's going to die, bury, raised from the dead. He's going to begin to call people into these intimate local fellowships together and they're going to change the world. And I'm going to put shepherds over them. I'm going to call out leaders in these local groups and put oversight over them and they're going to lead by example. And then he, I'm going to place apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith. Dear God, we need that. And the knowledge of the Son of God. I don't think anybody's come to the full unity of the faith or the full knowledge of the Son of, of God to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness of deceit and schemes and uh, rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow that it has built itself up into love That means we have to be together at times. That means you just can't watch behind a camera lens. I'm thankful for a camera lens. I'm thankful for those things. But you got, Paul, like Peter is saying, God will do through these local committed relationships that Jesus, that that, that he's going to, this is how he's going to advance things. This is what he's going to work out. You say, well, that's Paul and that's Peter. No, let's lastly go to Jesus. Let's lastly go to Jesus and see how Jesus wanted to advance things. Was was it it through human wisdom? Was it through internet? Was it through uh, television? 
provision? Was it through all of these other things? No. Instead, he said, I'm going to use the wisdom of God. That's how we're going to advance it. This is what we're going to do. And, and, and through people who seem weak, who seem like weak and seem like the world is against them, but through the wisdom of God, I'm going to take these little insignificant people and I'm going to, through relationships, begin to advance my cause in the earth. And by the time you get down to Ephesians 5 and 6, it's the same thing that Peter writes. He says, I'm going to do it through marriage. He starts talking about marriage and the way we treat each other in marriage. Husbands love your wives, even as, uh, as Christ loved the church and gave it to them. Wives submitted to your husbands. And it begins to tell us all these things. Parents and children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He begins to tell us. He begins to tell us about masters and slaves or about the workplace and how we're to be treated with our bosses and that sort of thing. And he just begins to tell us this is going to be worked out in every facet of your mundane life. There's a pastor who I listen to and they do foster children. And he was, he was holding one of these foster kids and the child was just screaming one night. Just screaming and he had had no sleep. And he said, I remember thinking, I cannot stand this kid's mom. He said, I can't stand her. How in the world could a mother ever do this to, the, to a child? And he was just feeling the suffering of this, human, of this child. And the Lord began to press upon him, and he began to say this. This is how I'm talking about him working out things in intimate relationships. It's in the mundane, how he uses each other and different things. Even a foster child right here in the arms screaming its head off. And all of a sudden, he's having this wicked thought about this lady and beginning to go off track and think wrong. And all the a sudden here's what God said to him impressed on him. I did not ask you to figure out what is going on in the world with all the suffering. Just hold that little baby. Just hold it. And that's how God's working out things sometimes in your little mundane worlds and you with each other. And we don't even realize what the master planner is doing. How he's just working out things when we get ticked at our boss and when they don't let us do what we want to do. And how the spirit checks us and begins to do things in our life. How we begin to just be uh, have these things. We think it's going to come through grandier things. We think it's going to come through miracles and signs and wonders and all these great things. And it does. But often it just comes through these little intimate relationships where we're local and we're committed to each other. Uh, it's people. Most of the time my life hasn't been changed through the grandeur. It's been changed through Monday morning calls with an intimate relationship with a guy named Melvin Slotnick where I just talk every Monday while an 80-year-old man has just taken an investment into a, into a, a local pastor and just says, I know you don't have anybody uh, that, that you, you've talked to me about not having a lot of friends and you've just isolated your yourself over here and I'm going to commit myself to calling you every Monday and every Monday I sit there and I've learned how to be a friend I've learned how to have a friend and I've learned how to be a friend by talking to this man who calls me I don't call him I need to reach out to him he calls me every Monday like clockwork doesn't he Marcy Marcy say it's about time for your call from Melvin and all of a sudden here comes the phone ringing and for about an hour we just talk about the Lord about all kind of other things about life about politics about all kind of stuff and my life has been changed more through that than I could 
could ever imagine. Uh, my life was changed when I met Lisa on a trip by just a man that met my dad on an airplane that was a Christian. And just through that conversation, and I met him because I was at one of the lowest moments in my life. He didn't usually do it through the grandeur. He did it when I was at my weakest point, at my lowest point, wanting to give up. And God led me to a brother in the faith. And all of a sudden, through just talking to this man, he said, you're going to go to the nations of the world, and it won't be me speaking. I'll be handing you the mic, and it'll be you speaking. And man, I needed that more than anybody in the world ever needed that. And he did that for me. And he showed me that God had bigger plans than in my life than what I could ever see. And, and he had confidence in me and faith to do this. And he helped me as like a father in the Lord to, to, to connect me with friendships and people. In fact, that's where I met Melvin. That's where I went to Moldova. That's where I began to preach in other parts of the world. And God did that and it was absolutely amazing and it was through local committed relationships of the body of Christ that helped me understand who I am they just came along and reminded me you are a royal priesthood you, you, you're no different from me when I came into those relationships I thought man you're a scientist you're all this you're these people you're that people you're a realtor you own this and I looked at myself they're way up here and I'm way down here and by the end they had taught me to come up here and they had taught me to realize we're on an equal footing at the cross. I'm no different than you. You can hear from God like I hear from God. You can know God like I know God. And they taught me through just these local, committed relationships. You've done that in this room. Many of you in this room have been that way to me as well. That same pastor who was uh, has the foster kids, he was in Africa. And, and, and if you've never been on a mission trip, go on a mission trip. I challenge you. You should go on a mission trip. Your life will forever be changed because when you're sitting in the room talking to some believers in other parts of the world you learn a lot and it's just amazing and so this this man was sitting there with this African pastor in the living room and all of a sudden this pastor who he had been they had been having a meal together and this guy had been talking about all the foster kids and all of this sort of thing and all of a sudden this pastor said you keep talking to me about foster care and bringing these children in so that you might demonstrate to the world how much you love kids and he said why do you keep putting our kids in orphanages and then taking them away from us when you need to teach us as the church how to take those kids into our homes so that we can show the people who Jesus is. And, and that's what this pattern, this guy just stood aghast like, I'm not taking your kids. But he was teaching him something about the way they perceived it and how we need your help to come alongside of us. And rather than our kids being given away to orphanages, come alongside of us in relationship and in intimate fellowship in the church and teach us how to do what you're doing so the world can see the love of God and the mercy of God and the miracle of God just like he's seeing in your family. Amen? Help us to be a local expression of the church in this place, that pastor said. And that's what we're to do, folks. We're not to just keep it in our four and no more. We're supposed to have people in our homes. We're supposed to be teaching the older women, as Titus says, teaching the younger women how to rear up children in the fear and godliness of the world, uh, uh, how, to, how to treat their husbands, uh, and how to have respect for the husband, how to do all of these things. How, how the, the men are supposed to do the same thing, teach us how to love our wives, how to treat our children, not to exasperate our children or to make our children angry, but how to raise them up and the fear and admonition of the Lord. We're to be in relationship with one another. It's more than just coming into this place and hearing a guy scream at you and having a few songs. We've got to commit in the coming days to be in each other's lives. 
It's helping people grow. It's helping people grow, folks. It's helping a young single mama grow to know what it means to be a Christian. To, to, to know when she can make it. It's, uh, I don't want to just show up to service in the coming year. We're, 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 we're dying on the vine from all those things. I don't want to just show up. I love coming together. I love coming and singing songs. I love preaching. But it's about being in one another's lives. And that's what we've got to do going into the future is we have got to, and we do a good job of that here, but we need to do better. We need to get more and more and more because there's some of us who do a lot of it and there's some who do a little and there's some who do none. Right? And we need to be better and more intentional because this is the way God said He's going to do it. It's about slowing down, caring about what's going on in your brother and sister's life. It's about answering questions for one another. And it's about praying for one another. It's about, about the church having elders that give oversight. It's about, it's about being protected. It's about, and that's what Paul and Peter are both saying. This is the way that we're going to do it. Through local, intimate, committed relationships with one another. And then lastly, as I was getting to, Jesus did the same thing. Matthew 28, turn there and then we'll close. Jesus is commissioning his followers. And he's saying, this is the greatest thing ever. This is what he's reminding them of. This is the greatest thing ever that I'm about to do. I'm commissioning you, you, you. I'm ready to, to, to hand the baton to you. And he begins to remind him. Look at what he says. He tells him, he, he tells him first of all, as he's about to do that in verse 18, he comes to them and he says this first. As he said in the other chapters, all authority, didn't he say, I, I've ascended in Ephesians in the other chapters, I'm high above everything, and, and, and now I'm, 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 I've led captivity, and, and I'm pouring out gifts to the church, and you'll have apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and all of this for the working of the saints. Well, Here's Jesus commissioning his followers, and he's saying the same thing. I've overcome death, hell, and the grave. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's reminding them of this. I'm calling you to do the biggest thing ever, is what he's about to say. And he says in verse 16, if you back up to Matthew chapter 16, you read that he's ready to build the church, and the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. He tells us the gates of hell will never. Didn't he tell us that in those previous chapters? That, that the principalities that we're to show forth the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities of the air were to remind them, hey, in Colossians 2, you got stripped of all your power. You're a joke. You're a mockery. You are defeated by the blood of the Lamb and by the great I Am. He has all authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He is building a church. He is calling people out into these local communities, into these local relationships that he's going to change the world through just in everyday mundane life as they begin to walk it out and live together they're being changed they're being tra and they're transmitting that to the world around them I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell Satan himself and all of Hades will not be able to hold back what I'm about to do this is how I'm going to do it not internet not anything else this is how I'll get my church out this is how I'll expand the gospel on this is how I'll do the greatest thing ever And he didn't go, okay, fellas, here's what we're going to have to do. Peter, I need you to rent the Colosseum in Rome. And James, I need you to get some, print up some chiseled 
flyers that we're going to pass out to everybody because we're going to tell everybody uh, that they got to come to the Coliseum because I got a big announcement. I'm about to start the greatest thing ever, the greatest thing ever. I'm going to collect it together and we're going to gather in the Roman Coliseum on this and that day and we're going to bring everybody together and I'm going to make the greatest announcement in the world that the great I am stands before you, that the Lord Almighty stands before you, the I am that I am and I'm going to make the announcement of who I am and my mission and what I'm about to do, but Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't get up there and say, I'm the lion and the lamb. I'm the I am that I am. He does not do that. In verse 16 and 17, he just talks to 11 people and invites them up on a hill into intimate, close, connected, living together fellowship. And he invites just 11 of his followers, and he's been pouring into these 11 guys for three and a half years. Just living in community with them. Making disciples out of them so that now, at the right time, they can go make disciples. Just pouring into these 11 guys. Just intentionally demonstrating in this intimate and connected way what it looks like to follow him. Day after day after day after day. That's what he does. He just keeps doing that. And it's manifested in how we love one another and not through grandiose things. It's just in the way that we love each other. Like, like Amber's brother. Just in the way that, that, that we love each other. That guy didn't do grandiose things, but, uh, but, 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 but he did do grandiose things. He just loved every day in relationships at his work, at his church at his home, in, his, in every relationship that he was in he was just invested in relationship and when that happened thousands and thousands of people come out at his death because why? He was invested in all of those relationships showing them what Christ is like Loving them, just loving them, just loving them, and loving them, and loving them. And that's what Jesus did to these 11. This is how he's going to change the world, calling these 11 guys together. And all of a sudden, I've been pouring into you for three and a half years. We've just been living life together, and I've been showing you what it's like to follow me. And we, now you're going to manifest that to the world by loving the world. How will they know that you're my disciples? By the love you have one for another. By the love you show to that dirty boss in the workplace. By the love you show to that mom who left that child in your care and just screaming out I didn't tell you to figure that out just love this child that's screaming I, I'm just calling you to love love where you are, love in these communities that I placed you in, love the people that I put you into and it's going to be amazing and it was all about 11 people that he just walked with on a daily basis showing them how to live, how to walk and then he calls them to a mountain up there the Bible says and he says now let's go now let's go Let's go. We're about to go do this thing. We're about to go. All authority has been given to me, and it's time you go. It's time we go. And these 11 guys have no clue as to what's going on. They're like, yeah, let's go. But they really don't know what's going on because what's amazing is, is some of them uh, even doubted. They began to, uh, did, it says in verse 17 that some of them didn't even believe it. They, they were, they're still confused about it all. But they'll get it. Just give them a little time because by the time, what's so amazing is by the time we get to act, the promise of the Holy Spirit is being poured out. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, in Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. And the greatest mission that's ever been launched in the face of the world was launched through 11 men who got filled with, who got a commission, and then they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to take this message to the four corners of the entire globe. 
And from the time that he does this, from the time he pours in to these 11 guys, and from the time that he brings them up on that mountain, and the time that he commissions them, and the time that they get over to being filled with the Holy Spirit, there's 120 of them now. There's 120 of them now that are there waiting for the promise of Jerusalem. And then we find out that then on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God comes, and whenever they begin to go, and Peter gets up and preaches this message, all of a sudden 3,000 are saved. And then five thousand are saved and we just see this amazing thing this is how I'm going to do it this is how I'm going to do it through this intimate little small relationships I'm going to take this thing to the uttermost parts of the earth and so now we've gone from 11 to 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 and they just begin to carry out what Jesus said to do and that's to make disciples they got into these local committed relationships with one another with elders with saints and they just began to carry out what God had called them to do. Do you know that 100 years later, historian, church historians record that 45,000 people had come into, these, into the gospel and the kingdom of God. Do you know that 50 more years later, it's recorded that 225,000 in 200 AD, that 225,000 had now come into the kingdom of God in the midst of some of the most incredible persecution. And they were committed to loving one another. They were committed to caring for one another. They were committed to just living together in community and just watching the power of God work and what He could do. And the matches just keep kept on advancing and advancing and advancing and advancing. And by the time we get to AD 250, the church has almost 1.2 million people without Facebook. How did they do it? They just kept building relationship together. Committed relationship. I'd rather have 50 passionate followers of Christ than 5,000 megachurch followers. 50 people. Just 50 Just a remnant, a church that passionately loves one another and is covenanted together with God to make disciples so that this thing doesn't stay in Brookside. No, so that it doesn't even stay in here, but it begins to go beyond this place. And it begins to go beyond to the four corners of the world. And that's what God is calling us to, church. That's what He's calling us to. It's what he's calling us to in this. It's what he's always called us to, but that's how he's going to do it. And we, we must come back to this, uh, to, to this place, and, and we've got to see this advance because we've got a world that wants to destroy this. We've got a world that now is attacking anytime you try to gather together, that is attacking you getting together, and especially in the sick time. Oh, don't go to grandma's, you'll kill her. They're, 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 they, they don't want you here. They don't want you together. I'm not saying if you have fever, don't come be around. But there is something sinister behind all of this. And it's to stop relationship. It's to stop fellowship. Remote work. All of this stuff is to get you isolated and by yourself. And I can tell you the ultimate cause behind all of it is to try to stop the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I got good news. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Hallelujah. So, Father, we just pray right now, God. We just pray, God, that 
we like those 11 followers. That God, you would just take us. And God, we've been in this church, I've been in this church for a long time, and I've preached a lot of messages. And I've been committed to relationships, but God, there's been areas that I've been walled up. And it's just easier to come preach sermons than it is to get involved in the messiness of each other's lives. But Father, that's not what I read in this book. And God, going forward, if we're going to see the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to take more than just studying and trying to bring some kind of eloquent, impressive sermon, God. It's going to take us, God, being involved in each other's lives. Just like those 11 were involved in each other's lives and learned to become more like Christ each and every day. And then they begin to transmit that to the world all around them. They begin to love God and love each other and then have love for a lost world all around them. And dear God, I just don't want to stand before you one day, God, and just say, again, here's my talent, or Lord, we failed here at the end, God. Uh, I just pray that, Lord, that you would make a remnant, God, a remnant, God, that you would just resurrect us with resurrection life and power, God, and that we would be faithful to the call, faithful to the mission, faithful to the mission that you've given to us, God, that we would be reminded who we are. And I think that's why we spent a whole year, God, reminding ourselves that we are saved, that we are redeemed, that we're blood-bought. God, you read Ephesians at the beginning and you read Peter at the beginning. That's what he keeps telling them. You've got an inheritance that's, that won't fade away. It's secured in heaven. And God, that's what we did for the last year. We've been trying to secure ourselves in Christ to know that we're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. And we need to quit worrying about that. We need to accept that. And we need to now move in to what you've called us to do in the mission, God. And that's to take this great commission. Lord, you've discipled us, in other words. Now, let, let us go and make disciples. And God, I believe that's the challenge and the call you have for us, God. And there's not one in here, God, whether we're at the youngest or the oldest, God, that can be that can be discipling our grandchild in our home. That could be that could be that could be discipling a friend at a Bible study. That could be taking time to 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 keep a foster child, to keep somebody's kid. That that could be taking time to 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 give half of our lunch or all of our lunch to 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 having a a Bible study with a coworker to begin to. Help them, God. And I'm seeing that out of people in this church. And God, just little by little, it doesn't feel like much. It doesn't feel too grandiose, God. But, 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 but little by little, God. It could be going to Africa to teach a man how to, uh, how, how, how to raise uh, foster kids and keep children rather than, than a society that, 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 that's putting them in orphanages, God. Whatever, whatever you call and task us to do, God, just help us in all that we've regurgitated and preached and taught for 20 years, God. Ever learning. But God, please don't let us uh, ever be said of us that we're never able to come to the knowledge of truth. God, let this begin to be worked out in our relationships all around us to where it transforms and changes society all around us, God. Oh, we are the body of Christ. We are your chosen people, God. And we want, it, we, want to, we want to display your manifold wisdom. 
your manifold wisdom to all people and to the demons and everybody else, God. You're great. You're great. You're great. And you will bring salvation to the world. And you will save to the uttermost. And you win at the end, God. And we, 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 God, you, are, you, you have collected us together. And we are living stones, God. Living stones built together. Built together, God. Displaying your great glory. Your great grace, your great power to the world. And God, I just believe you want to save in this last hour, God. Cause us to believe that, God. Just like you saved us, it's not too late. You still want to save people in this community, in this neighborhood, God. All around the world, God. It's not time just to say, well, COVID, we can't travel. No, God, it's time to go to the mission field. It's time. It's time. It's time to go to our neighbor. It's time, God. It's time to invite somebody to church. It's time. It's time, God. Right now is the hour and the time, God. And we say, here we are, Lord, send us. And so, Father, we give you the praise and the honor and the glory. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.